Welcome to 353rd. I'm Anders Brownworth. I am Scott Barstow. Anders, happy 2012. 2012. It's going to be really hard to remember to write that when I'm typing. Um, 2012. 2012. But it's a good thing, like, you know, a few years ago, I, I wised up and uh, made that dynamic on all websites that I run. So now it says copyright 2012 at the, the stroke of midnight. Right. So right. That was a that was a wise thing back in the day. Yeah, we have not been on the air in a while. We have not. It's true. So we had the uh, we had the we of course had the Christmas holidays and all that that entails. Yeah. And uh, and it just it's been insane lately. It feels it has like it's been insane. And let me tell you, the most insane thing is uh, CES. You're familiar with the Consumer Electronics Show. This is uh, this is the show that uh, does not feature any consumers. Uh, <laughs> That's right. It's really, it's really 140,000 men uh, yes. in, in, a, in a convention hall in Las Vegas, uh, Nevada. Um, so I think the thing that I'm most interested in, yeah. uh, or at least maybe not most, but at least somewhat interested in, is, of course, one of the, uh, one of the big events, uh, one of the big deals leading up to CES was Microsoft saying that this would be their last. Yeah. And then, of course, Balmer uh, gave a keynote. <laughs> was that a keynote? <laughs> I'm not sure what that was. <laughs> that was odd. Okay, so let's talk about this. So I, The no, Twitter choir thing was really strange. That was odd. I don't know what in the world was going on. And they were all, yeah, whatever, talking it up like it was great. So um, so here's the deal. Back in the day, uh, Apple pulled out of Macworld. And then, uh, you know, that obviously was a big, big deal. And uh, the analogous show, I suppose, for Microsoft is CES. And they left saying that the uh, product cycles did not uh, line up, which incidentally was one of the same reasons Apple gave for leaving Macworld. So uh, I think this was a long time coming, especially by evidence of Steve Ballmer's talk. What did you think about the, the, the whole thing? It's just the guy's just plain strange. Yeah. I don't get him. Well, why don't you get him? I mean, like he's a sales guy, right? That yeah. answered it for me. Yeah, I guess. And you know, there I read an article after. Uh, gosh, it was probably what day was his keynote? Was it? I think it was Tuesday. Like Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, Tuesday night. I, like 6 I read PM. an article Wednesday. I think it was, and it was pretty interesting. Apparently there's a big business week article coming out on Balmer and Microsoft. It may already be out. I can't remember. Yeah. And so this was a review of that article. And basically, you know, Balmer has said that he was going to retire in 2018 or something like that was his, that's his set date for retirement. That's weird. Okay. And I guess the, the thing I, you know, you and I have talked about him a number of times on this show I I just think he's the wrong guy for that company. I think they've yeah. got so much potential, so much money. And and every time I see him, he just it's like he's a you know, I feel like I'm watching you know some really bad lounge uh, act. Yeah, lounge act where he's just he just tries so hard. Yeah, well he's he's all about energy and sales and and marketing yeah. and 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 driving innovation as if it could be driven uh, you know, basically a guy that fundamentally does not understand technology, or at least that does not, uh, uh, you know, live and breathe it. I mean, you could say he does because of the industry that is in, but frankly, he does not think like an engineer. And what, what is puzzling to me 
is why is Bill Gates putting his confidence in in this guy who who basically hasn't done anything that I can point to uh, significant in his tenure. Now you can talk about like Xbox and that's gotten better and better and you know obviously that's a big thing, but all the other stuff. Windows, Office, these are all, these have been around for 20 years. These are not new. And so, you know, it seems, it always seemed to me that things that came in the, the door that were actually interesting, they're all purchases, Connect being the most obvious, were just not, not him. <laughs> like, in, in spite of him. These things have been interesting and and been coming out. I mean, you know, he did the the CES thing was just uh, you know I don't know if our listeners have seen it, but it was a uh, sort of a a uh, roadshow or whatever with Ryan Seacrest, uh, and it was just I mean it was clear Ryan Seacrest hadn't uh, done his homework, and Bomber kept laying things out there that went flat and then Seacrest had no context, I suppose, to really kind of pick it up. So he would kind of laugh it off and they had this very uneasy kind of feel between them. And that was supposed yeah. to be a keynote. Yeah. And it's uh, like it, you'd be hard pressed to find two people that are more opposite. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's strange. I was in this article. I wish I could remember where I read it, but they talked about this: the fact that uh, they mentioned a qu- several quotes from this upcoming article, yeah. and it's coming out in Business Week or wherever it's coming out. And in one of the one of his quotes, he says he acknowledges that products, you know, product development cycles are getting shorter. Uh huh. I mean, that's like a big revelation. Yeah. Yeah. And hello. Yeah, and I guess the it, it it it's when I was reading it, I was like, well, this just feels like more of the same yeah. to me. It's just like, what are you doing here? Why yeah. are you and why are you here? Yeah. Would you why, say, what yeah, do you do here? To quote the Office, indeed. <laughs> and I, I, it just bugs me that uh, he's going to be around for that much longer. If that's the case, yeah, he needs to hire the Bobs. He's got to get. He's got to. He's got to do something. He's. They've got to get out of. You know. Well, they got to get out of this mode that they're in. It's just. It's just awful. He clearly needs a. He needs a leader. He needs a tech leader. Somebody yep. that can see. That has their eyes open. That can see, and then, and then he's a. He is a brilliant, like right hand man. I think. He's going to rally the troops. He's going to do whatever. But he needs somebody to to point him in the the correct macro direction because yep. he doesn't have the feel for that at all no and yeah i think you're right i think he's, he's probably really good at the sales thing and you know getting everybody to you know chart storm the beach or whatever right rally um, the troops whatever yeah. it is yeah yeah but it's there's there's clearly a piece that um, is not is not ever going to be in his strong set, and that's okay. I mean, everybody's good at, at things and bad at others. That's that's completely natural. It's, it's just the the contrast between he and Bill Gates could not be more stark that's in that true. regard. I mean, Bill Gates was one, uh, obviously a good leader, but I'm guessing a very different kind, probably much more demanding. Yeah. Number one, and then obviously Bill Gates had the technical acumen and really had a vision for you know bringing computing to the masses that 
you know, nobody else really had at the time. And so I just feel like he's operating in a space that he doesn't fit. He's in, he's operating in space. He doesn't have the moorings. <laughs> I mean, my question is when, when do the, uh, shareholders revolt? When does, when uh, the only reason he's still there, I would argue is Bill Gates. He's the only guy yep. that really, well, that, that's what this article basically said is really? that, yeah, it basically said the stockholders are so tired of a stagnant. It's been like eight years of a stagnant stock price, yeah. more or less. Yeah. Um, and the only, effectively, the only reason he's there is that he still has the blessing of Bill Gates. I wonder what it takes then to, you know, get out the door. I mean, I, I, I wonder why Bill keeps him, and I wonder what it takes to convince Bill to get rid of him. Yeah, I'm guessing it's just know. a lot of it's loyalty, and it's got to be. Totally. Yeah, it's got to be a lot of it. So, yeah. on other news, one of the uh, uh, still staying on CES, I felt that uh, I was obviously observing from afar. But one of the companies that was getting a ton of splash out there was our good friends o- that build the Parrot AR drone. You are right. So, uh, right out front of the main entrance to the North Central and South halls is a a large parking lot converted into a big demo area like an outdoor demo area and the ar drone guys had this uh the, this is fantastic i mean uh, scott i we we haven't talked about this i haven't talked to you about this since i was at a, a ces uh, a couple days ago and they had this uh, big uh, sort of like a race course slash optical obstacle course and you could fly these things around and they had like uh uh you know hd cameras on them and uh, it was really, really interesting, except for the fact that and it was probably just because of when I went. Uh-huh. There was nobody that really that uh, that yeah, I could talk to. That right. I, what I mean by that is, I mean there were people there, and they had their their share of booth babes and the whole nine, but nobody knew where they were going. There was nobody that could talk about where they were going. Yeah, uh, I thought that might be the case because yeah. of the nature of the conference. It's really they're there to you know talk about selling their next generation of this toy, essentially. Sure. In the CES context, that's really what what that's about. That's what it's all if about. You, yeah. Yeah. If you have that same, if that if they were at South by Southwest or something like that, I bet you probably have a completely different set of people there manning the booth or whatever, probably a much more technical, and that would have been a much more interesting conversation. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, here's the thing, like these, these, it's interesting to hear your perspective from afar. I was there in the middle of it and you were kind of, you probably had a lot better exposure to it than I did. Uh, I literally walked the floor for five minutes because that's all I had. I was just meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. Right. Um, I got to say, I walked in there, you know, the, the, LG must have spent, you know, Samsung must have spent $25 million. LG must have spent $25 million on their thing. You just walk in and, and first of all, I think it was, I don't know if it was Samsung or who it was, their big thing was 3D television. You walk in and there is probably a 200-foot wide television, like just unbelievable, enormous, We're showing some 3D stuff. They're handing out 3D glasses, which I, you know, that's a non-starter right there. I'm not wearing 3D glasses. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, agreed. That's a non-starter. So I'm out. So I, I put the glasses on for a second, saw that it was 3D and, you know, we have, let's come back to 3D because I really do, there's some interesting points there. But I go in there and effectively, I mean, they had like 80 inch, 84 inch, LCD TVs or, or LED TVs or uh, OMLED whatever TVs, they looked beautiful. 
but that was it. It was yeah. only these incremental moves. Yeah. I mean, I, I could have seen, uh, you know, 98% of that stuff in Best Buy. Yeah. You yeah, hang exactly. out another couple months and it's in Best Buy. Yep. So, yeah. And what's the point, right? What's the point? There was nothing there. It was all about 3D. So, and I'm not interested. I'm just out. And then it's all about, uh, you know, just upping the specs on everything. So, A, if you don't know what the specs are to begin with, you don't know what the ballpark is, like what the general size of a TV is or or what 4K is or whatever, you, you don't – you just have – it just, you know, ever so marginally slightly better. There is just nothing interesting. I, I, it was all yeah. – like if I were a – if I were 20 – this show would have blown me away. Now that I'm 40, I go there and it's just like watching the movies. Totally unimpressive. The only yep. thing that matters are fundamentals. And you can make all the I mean, movies that are coming out nowadays are you know more and more heavily CG, probably more for price reasons than for sure. uh, technical accuracy or, or how good it looks or whatever. But they just become just... <laughs> that much less interesting to me the more like especially avatar this is one of the worst movies i've ever seen horrible yeah. film yeah all, i totally agree with you on and the thing about awful. the what you're talking about is i remember i bought a new tv yes this was probably three or four years ago i bought a 50 inch panasonic uh something yeah. lcd yeah. and i remember being in the store and and it wasn't by at the time it was not top of the line at all. Yeah. And and uh, I remember the sales rep, um, you know, trying to sell me on a TV that was three times the price. Yeah. And I sat there looking at them, and I was like, <laughs> okay, I you know, it's clear that this one's a little bit better. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. But it is. am I going to care about that when I get it home and I don't have this one to compare it to? I mean, the right. picture was phenomenal. Yeah, on all it of was, them. It's, it's just unbelievably good. Yeah. And, and then, you know, of course, he tries to sell me like the Blu-ray thing. Yeah. I was like, dude. Yeah, I don't, my word. Yeah. Yeah. There's no I mean, way. I don't need a resolution better than this TV right here to watch a movie. Yeah. yeah I don't need it. Yeah. Well, so my problem and, with Blu-ray is slightly different, I got to say. But I'm mean, talking about it in context of your. It's like what's yeah, go ahead. This, yeah. you know, I, I get this. Uh, okay, so there's a TV that's three inches bigger, yeah. and you know is is you know fifty times more crisp. Well, the problem is that the image was so good before that. Yeah, that it's just I don't know. I don't. I I just get bored with it all. Yeah. So do I. Point yeah. on the CG thing. I do. Shelly and I hardly ever go to the movies, yeah. and. We were at. We went to see Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Oh, really? Which great books uh-huh. and actually a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, the movie did a great job. But one of the things that drove me nuts was there were parts that were obvious they were on site for part of it. Uh-huh. I mean, <clears throat> but there were parts that it was just so clearly CG. Stage. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. it just looked. You know, they'd be riding in a car. Uh-huh. And it was so obvious that the scenery around them was not real. So it's obvious to the point of distraction? That's, for me, it was because yeah. it was just – it's like why can't you just go the extra bit and, you know, and do it really just top-notch? You uh, know, I'm not money. saying you got to be in Sweden for six months filming it. Yeah. But you know, go somewhere where it looks like where there's snow and drive on those roads. Yeah. <laughs> 
You know, <laughs> nobody's going to know the difference, yeah. but do it where it's live. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it's, uh, but I got to say, uh, have you been listening at all to uh, The Critical Path, which is a podcast with uh, Horace Dedu and uh, Dan Benjamin on the 5 by 5 network? You hear I have not. I've never heard of it. Oh, fantastic. This is, this is, at this moment, my most favorite podcast. It's fantastic. This guy is, uh, uh, you know, basically a Harvard MBA guy, and he's off. He's doing, he worked for Nokia for a while, and he's doing uh, analysis, and uh, he, he runs the website asimco.com, asimco, no P in there. Um, and he uh, just does these analyses of different uh, things, generally revolving around Apple and the value chains and the different uh, products that they have, and looking at what makes a company succeed. And it's just very well researched, and, and he, 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 you know, has thought through things quite well. He's also a student of uh, Clay Christensen, incidentally, uh, who wrote the Innovator's Dilemma, and, and and just you know, really just a very smart guy, kind of into the the jobs theory and stuff. So anyway, he did this uh, the last two episodes, which I highly recommend you listening to. Number twenty and twenty one of Critical Path uh, discuss the movie industry and how it is both how it works primarily and how it is ripe for to, for disruption. And it's pretty obvious that he's working on something that, uh, you know, that, that something with video, something, you know, he does an audio podcast just like we're doing now. He's, he's looking to do a project that, that actually, you know, uh, sort of tries to help the state of the art move forward. Uh, he brings up the point that there's, you know, VC for tech companies, and this is really a, a United States phenomenon. There's, it's mostly on the West Coast. There's some in New York, and Boston here, and there's there's a little bit in in uh, London. But for the most part, you know, VC is kind of like a, a United States invention, generally related to technology. There is no VC for the film industry. That's I mean, really interesting. Yeah, and he's trying to think about how would you, you know, if you have a really good idea, I've got a really good idea with my brother who who wrote and and did I did this we did this podcast 12 Byzantine Rulers which was fantastically popular and the New York Times wrote a story about it and my brother ended up writing a book with Random House uh, about it. So we have content. We've got something. Uh, now, it may not necessarily be a movie, but the same exact thing applies to television. Why can't we – like it, it would be great to be able to interest a VC th that, that could fund this kind of a thing. And it's arguable now with the internet that the distribution is no longer the, uh, the, the secret that – you know the, the hard-to-build thing that – does that nobody else has access to as yep. that gets broken down the movie business which has uh you know vehemently defended the distribution channels they have all the movie theaters as a matter of fact back in the day the movie studios used to own theaters and they That's were right. broken up i guess in the 40s because they were representing a monopoly. So now the theater, there's theater companies and separately there's movie companies. And they're doing all kinds of fancy accounting these days to, you know, basically it really screws the, uh, the creatives in the process. But uh, he, he does a great job in explaining it. I highly recommend you listen to those two episodes of uh, The Critical Path where he talks through what he knows. He's just learning about it now. It's really fascinating to hear his perspective. But uh, – 
it, it would be really interesting to see some sort of a VC, some sort of a uh, uh, you know a Kickstarter for movies or television production uh, yeah. that you could you could do and get funded. And the uh, the the interesting thing there is the closest I can think of to a company that's doing something like that is HBO. They're yep. they're the ones funding those documentaries, funding those you know really great television shows, and they're they're top notch. But they're generally from some you know I I don't know where they come from. I really have to look into their process. And if any listeners to this show know about this, please uh, do write in. I'm very interested to see uh, how. HBO, for example, goes about getting shows and and yeah, they clearly have a process that is not the same as every other television studio because they consistently come out with unique, interesting, and quality stuff. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And I guess the the thing that they've got is that the other thing they figured out is that they get their they get their content to you know the streaming sites quicker. Yeah. Um, they say you know, like the HBO shows that you really want to watch always seem to show up in all the places that you think you should find them. Yeah. And so they're not hung up on yeah. all of this. Uh, well, it's you know it's got to be exclusive and it's got to be you know we're not going to put our content on Netflix because that's just not what we do. Yeah. And all of that high and mighty blather that's just going to go away. Yeah, it's gonna and, be it's gonna be a, a movie industry. Uh, sorry, a music industry disruption. Yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah. It's going yeah, to be it has led to by be. HBO, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think they're they're the they're certainly the ones that um, have figured out how to continue to produce great stuff. Yeah, and I can't say that about any. Yeah. I mean, like I said, this movie I felt like the Dragon Tattoo movie was really well done. Uh-huh. I mean, the story they uh, it was really true to the book. They had great actors playing the you know the actors really played the parts well and all of that. And I'd seen the Swedish version before that, uh-huh. which was incidentally. This is a, a completely different topic, but the Swedish version was actually very, very good. Really? And um, the actors there were good. Of course, it's all subtitled, but I watched it on Netflix um, and uh, was surprisingly really good. And I would say the difference between uh, you know, the Hollywood version and the Swedish version was really – obviously, the acting talent was just that – it was just that much better that you yeah. noticed. And then the production value, of course, was – Tremendously better, yeah. Um, because I'm sure the budget was, you know, massive. Yeah. Um, but I thought it. I, when I contrasted the two, I, I after I got out of the one, you know, before Christmas, watching the 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 one here, I thought, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference between those two films, and so I started thinking about what you're talking about, which is, you know, you don't think about good movies coming from anywhere else. Yeah, but this was a quality movie produced by I'm sure some small Swedish studio, uh-huh. and they've got it on Netflix. You know, if ten years ago I never could have watched that movie, sure, it wouldn't have been in any you know Hollywood video store or blockbuster. It never would have shown up anywhere. Yeah, and so that to me re- is representative of the battle that's coming. Is yeah. you've got these small boutique studios that can do really good work. Um, and you've got Hollywood that's just a little bit better right now, yeah. but that, that divide is going to close. And as it closes, I think the quality actors, the actors will be willing, you know, a Hollywood actor would be willing to be in a Swedish movie yeah. if it's, you know, if they feel like 
it's a great, you know, it's a great, I think it's going to be much more about the story and, uh, and yeah. the quality of the movie much more so. And I think actors just like musicians now, uh, <clears throat> you know, if you're a musician, if you're going to make it today, you've got to be on the road. Mm-hmm. You got to be out in front of people. No, you don't make any money unless you're Coldplay. You're not making <laughs> yeah. any money on selling your, you know, selling your songs anymore. You've got to be out in front of people. Yeah. And I think the the same kind of idea is going to be true of movies, where their actors are going to have to do more movies, um, and probably do, you know, not wait for the big studio, you know, the big Hollywood studio budget, but rather do movies that are interesting and get a lot of publicity and run uh, in other venues rather than just a movie theater. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the the key is going to be as it was with the movie, the uh, music industry is back to the basics. Yep. It's solid story. Uh, and, and, and just the, the other thing about the music industry is their ability to produce something at a 10th or even a hundredth of the cost of what it used to cost. And yep. I think the same exact thing just exists for movies. And frankly, for me, for for movies and television, it's unbelievable that the the in a sense the monopoly, or at least the the you know the old system, is still here. Like that's the last holdout. TV and movies. That's yep. it. I yeah, mean, that's really true. Everything else has been democratized by the internet, and we you know you see the. The beginnings of that now, uh, you know, I've seen it for 10 years at least, people trading movies online. So they're, they're, the forces are at play, but there's still, I mean, there's still a big divide between uh, my computer screen and the television. I think things are starting to come around that can break it down, but clearly nothing has, you know, totally solved it yet. Yeah, um, but I'll tell you, I'm watching a lot more shows on, on my on my on my iPad. I'm watching really? a little, yeah because so some of it is just the fact that so uh, we only have one TV in the house. Yeah. And it's in the effectively the you know the kids playroom or whatever. And it's only 50 inches not 80, right? <laughs> it's it is only 50 <laughs> inches not 80. And so we don't have a TV in our bedroom. Yeah. And right. so there are times when I just want to hang out and watch a show. Sure. Yeah. And, and so like a uh, yeah. And I just pull up the iPad, flip the, you know, set it up on its tripod. Uh-huh. And I, I just, I, I don't mind that experience at all. It's uh-huh. the same as having a smaller TV. So you say you set it up on a tripod. What do you mean? Well, I mean, like, the, like just set little... it up so you can, you know, I just prop it up so I can see it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, right. You yeah, don't have tri- it across the room. It's it's close to you. Yeah. So we, you know, we, it's right between us, yeah. uh, you know, probably 20 inches from our face. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, yeah. it's not a bad way to watch TV. I got to tell you. Yeah. Uh, that's and you get, and you get, you know, you get the 43 minutes instead of the hour yeah. because you don't have any commercials. Yeah. And so we watch a, uh, we watch a couple of shows. Um, one is Friday night lights was to just show about a Texas football team, uh-huh. uh, Texas high school football, essentially, uh, really good show interesting show it was on nbc uh for five or six seasons and we kind of got introduced to it late so we've been mm-hmm. just jamming through it all on netflix yeah and we did the same thing with Mad Men when we were yeah. uh, when we got caught up to that i think we watched you know for like three months we watched Mad Men every night or yeah, something like that like, a, like two shows a night or whatever right. it's kind of like right a so i just yeah. the the idea that you can um you know, if you think about that concept right there and just go back five years, yeah, 
didn't exist at all. Yeah, it's true. So, so it's, it's, if, if you're going to make a movie, you, you could, I suppose, actually use Kickstarter. You want to say a TV show. So the numbers aren't crazy. Uh, you, you know, let's say a half hour, hour TV show, whatever. You could go to Kickstarter. You could make a you know make a little video, an excerpt of what it's going to be. Put the plot, whatever. Say we want to start the show, but you still need at this point to introduce you know interest. Uh, who are the gatekeepers? Netflix, uh, iTunes, Hulu, um, Hulu. Sure, you you need to really kind of do a deal, right? Yeah, I think <laughs> so. Well, if you remember, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Donald Miller, the author of uh, Blue Like Jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, the famous writer, you know, he's written several books. He's kind of this guy. I don't know if you've read his books, no. but he writes about it's essentially, uh, you know, early to mid thirties angst is how I yeah. would describe it. And so anyways, writing appeals to, uh, quite a few people. Anyway, he started a, he did a Kickstarter project for his movie. He wanted to make a movie out of this book, blue, like jazz. Yeah. And, I uh, got it fully funded on there, and it was you know if you got in early and gave them a hundred bucks, you got to you got a ticket to the premiere and all really? this other stuff. Very cool. And but it was he still had to he had to raise like three or four hundred grand, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I think eventually it was it ended up having to go through the studios you know to actually get it made and get it out or whatever. Well, so why is that? Because like the uh, the people working for the studios are all under union and they couldn't do work outside the studios? You know, I don't know. I just, I think at some point because they still have the chokehold on some of the key distribution, the distribution points. Yeah. Right. Um, and, but we all know that's going to go. It's going, it's going. Yeah. yeah it's going. And, it's just, you know, I've got, I've got a friend of mine that lives and actually works in Hollywood as an editor. Yeah. And, um, and I just know from, you know, just from listening to him that the, you know, the work gets farther and farther between, because um, yeah. you know the quality, they're just not making as many movies, and the movies that they make are horrible. Yeah, they for really the most are. Part. And the right. yeah, I remember when we were when we went to see the Dragon Tattoo movie, just watching the previews. There was one movie that looked really interesting, and it was this movie with that Liam Neeson's in. Yeah, and his plane crashes somewhere in the Arctic, and it's basically a survival movie. And you know Liam Neeson's in it, so it's probably going to be good. Yeah, see, that's but, that's compelling. <laughs> but the rest of the you know, and they're, uh, they're, the movie is, I forget what the name is, it's called The Grey, I think. Uh-huh. And it's about, you know, they're pursued by this pack of wolves, uh, you know, <laughs> while they're trying to survive. And anyway, it looks, it was the kind of movie that you'd probably be on the edge of your seat the whole movie. Yeah. But the rest of the previews, I was like, why would anybody go see any of these movies? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's like the same movie being made 16 times. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. It's, it's, it's really rough. But so uh, one diversion. The only other film that I saw that I thought was interesting. You ever heard of Moonrise Kingdom? No. You got to look this up on on uh, iTunes movie trailers. Uh, if you're if you're a student of uh, Rushmore, which of course I am, I actually just tweeted this out. Um, check that movie out. <laughs> I cannot wait for it. It looks fascinating. <laughs> the the trailer is just it's a Wes you know Anderson film. It's it the trailer is just shot in such an interesting way uh, as to tell the story up to a certain point, give you a flavor for how it's done. It's very much like Rushmore. Uh, it looks to be great. Anyway, so uh, I yeah. digress. I digress. Yeah. Here's the deal. I- you know, we're, it's, it's, it's ripe for disruption. It, you really need to listen to this podcast because what, what Horace did you is saying is just, it's very it's fascinating. I'm learning tons of stuff from it. Um, 
but moving stepping back once more, Las Vegas. So yeah. CES, which is where we started this humble show. Right. <laughs> to take you all the way back there. Las Vegas. Um I don't like Las Vegas. Yeah, you know, it's funny you you said that before we before we got on the show. And I remember I used to go to Vegas once a year with some college friends of mine, and we started really? going when I was probably I know, I was probably thirty two, thirty three, somewhere in there. And at yeah. the time, I, I remember thinking, man, this is you know the first couple of times we went, I would always, we would always be there for like two days. Yeah, and that's, see, that's about right. And that's really all you need yeah. of that place. But you know, so the first couple of times you go, you're like, ah, oh, you can do anything here. You know, it's just it's amazing. Yeah, and then. Uh, you know, it's open all night and you, you've got all these crazy, you know, you can see any Cirque du Soleil show and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I've, what I found was after about two years, I didn't want to go. Yeah. And, and I still wanted to go and see my friends, but it's just the, there's something about that place that I just, you know, I can do without. Yeah. And I think it, maybe it'd be different if you go, uh, you know, with people you know and you go with your wife or something like that where and you kind of go and take in some of the the more high-end stuff there maybe yeah. there's because the i mean one of the one of my favorite things i've done there is i went to see ka which is a Cirque oh, yeah. du Soleil show sure, and we sat grand. yeah we sat in the front row literally front row really? and center uh-huh. tickets were like 150 bucks a piece or something <laughs> like that yeah of course i wasn't paying for them yeah, and that's always good and uh <laughs> And anyway, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, stuff happening a hundred feet off the deck and, you know, right in front of you, just <laughs> unbelievable stuff these people do. Yeah. And, and so like, that's the kind of thing where you say, oh yeah, you can't, I mean, you, you couldn't see this anywhere else in the world. Yeah. This show doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Okay. I, I love me some Cirque. There's no question. Yeah. But outside um, of that, like the, you know, you get in there and you've got, there's, it's really one of two things happening in Vegas. One is the bachelorette slash bachelor party yeah. slash, you know, guys going out there, girls going out there and, you know, being completely uninhibited. And then you've got the, you know, 65 to 80 year old, um, crowd and gambling. And, yeah, and I think the people that are in our age group just aren't there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, here's the thing: when I look at Vegas, uh, you know, I'm as an American, I'm embarrassed. You walk down the strip, and they have, you know, we have our own little mini Eiffel Tower, our own mini little right Venice there with yeah, all the mini stuff. Manhattan, mini this, mini, you know, uh, obelisk and a, and a pyramid and. It's like all the interesting thing. I stayed at Caesar's Palace. I mean, it looks like, you know, ancient Rome. I mean, yeah. all the stuff, but it's all fake, you know, and it's, yeah, it's all, all kind of yeah. It's also I imagine you know some some developer in Las Vegas, you know, larger than life personality is like, we're gonna do this and we'll build this enormous thing and it's gonna be you know the greatest. And it, it's it is very embarrassing to me as an American because I look back and I see like. You know, well, first of all, you know, I've I've been to the Statue of Liberty. I've been to these, you know, I've I've gone down the little canals in Venice. This is not Venice. This is an antiseptic like wannabe. And it's all really small. And uh, you know, I, I think like if you never leave the United States, 
it might be kitschy to to see in real life what you've seen in film but I, i'm just i'm so not there i'm not i don't i don't want to be venice i don't want to be you know egypt I be be the United States, you know, it feels yeah, to be me, Vegas. Yeah, right. I sure. think I think it would have been much more well, interesting maybe it to is go Vegas. Yeah, but maybe it would have been much more interesting to go back in kind of the Rat Pack days. Yeah, see now they are talking. When yeah. it was when it was truly a unique experience to be in Vegas. Yeah. And when it was, you know, if Vegas had its own kind of vibe and it, I I don't I mean if you look at the hotels from yeah. that day it really sure. they weren't trying to be Venice, and I—it's funny you say that because I remember, um, you know, that what's the Venetian there? Yeah. Um, you know, they've got the gondola rides going through the middle of the hotel yeah. and all this other stuff. And I remember a year and a half ago we were in Venice, yeah, uh, Italy, and I was like, there's just no comparison. Yeah, I there's mean, no comparison. It's it's also the thing that strikes me is, in the the Romans copied the Greeks, and the Greeks copied the Egyptians and and then you got the Romans copying the Egyptians, bringing the obelisks uh, into Rome. Every culture seems to copy sure. these older and older ones. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that's just part of that's just part of it. But this is it's done on a tacky. I think it's the tacky. Is, yeah, it's just. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I anyway, just don't, I don't like the place at all. No, nah, so so I yeah, so I basically I went there. I now this reminds me back. It reminded me I haven't been in Vegas in probably twelve years, ten or twelve years, whenever it was. Uh, I used to go every year with Imagine Media. We used to rent out the whole Hard Rock Hotel to do this huge, you know, huge party, biggest party on you know for CES, and I would have to go every time, you know, and I, I hated sure. it. Because, sure. I mean, at the time, I was younger. It was, you know, whatever. Right. I suppose, you know, I've, I guess I was just turning 30. Um, so it may, may be long, right about the same time you were there. But it was it was always like, um, I don't know, it's just not me. I, when I, I'm a, you know, I took statistics. I'm an engineer. I, you know, have a really hard time having fun losing money. So yeah, I tend, yeah, me too. I tend not to do that. I mean, it's not really, it's not how I don't roll that way. So it's, it's rough to wake up in the morning. You know, I had to leave at uh four 45 in the morning. I roll down Caesar's, uh, Caesar's palace right through the casino. Looks like I left it at, at, you know, 1am. Oh, I know. Just, you know, same just people still there still going full bore four thirty yep. in the four forty five in the morning. Unbelievable. Yeah, anyway. I'm the same as you. I don't have any fun at all. Like, uh, you know, sitting at a table and no, pull, just... continuing to pull money out of my pocket. No, I'm, I'm I out. Just... I mean, I'll, I'll laugh at people doing it, but I mean, yeah. And you know, you get the occasional winner, which of course has people coming back. But dude, it's not like you're you don't get lucky. There's no such thing. It's just like you know, it happens or it doesn't. And in your your previous history has nothing to do with with nope. how things every, go forward. Every hand, every roll just, of the dice is brand new. Just unbelievable. So as and you know, and you need to know. All you need to know is that those casinos weren't built by people walking out of there with money. Yeah, all those casinos. You walk down the street and you see all these lights. Who do you think pays the electric bill? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do. What's wrong with you? Another yeah. interesting thing about Vegas, and this is really only true in the in that kind of that central area there. Um, the this is I just found this out, so I'm just going to say it because I thought it was interesting. You can't really get off of the sidewalk and onto the street in many areas. 
there's sort of like a little buffer zone and, and there's kind of curvy and stuff. And I always looked at that as like, oh, I hate this because what they're trying to do is force me to look at their, you know, Gucci store or whatever sure. the next yeah. thing is, right? But actually, the, the, the another reason, it's not the only reason, obviously, for those things to be there, for you not to be able to get into the street has to do with people being killed. People were drunk. Come ah. stumbling out of a thing, you know, and they have these wide sidewalks that channel you where you should go. Now you can get out of them, you can hop the fence, sure. you can go whatever. But for the most part, it keeps you in a safe place. You can't get run over. It was yeah. it's, it's really fascinating. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, because those always that always bugged me because you kind of oh. get there's nowhere you you get into these spots where you have to wind through the front of the casinos. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it and it drives you because you're like, yeah, okay, well, it. here's this street right out here. Why can't I walk sure, out there? Exactly. The so other thing that I know, just before we before we close this out, the one of the, one of the things that I do like about that I think is pretty neat is the uh, the the Bellagio fountain thing. That's you're absolutely right. That's it's unique. It's yep. it's very yeah. I agree. The Bellagio fountains are very interesting. I will also say the architecture, especially the Aria Hotel. The architecture in some of these places is really very interesting if you're into yep. that kind of thing. If you get yep. to hop onto Google Maps, uh, switch it into satellite mode and zoom in on the Aria Hotel and the win, which, which yeah, is just Yeah, the win is gorgeous. really interesting shape. <laughs> yeah, it really, really is. Really interesting. So, yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Anyway, I think we are probably all out of time having gabbed for uh, half an hour or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, anyway, anyway it, we are hopefully back on a regular schedule now that the new year is upon us. And uh, thanks for listening. As always, you can check us out online at 353rd.com. And uh, please post your notes and comments both there and in iTunes. Absolutely. Please do. Thanks a lot.